Hey friends, you're listening to Go Home Baba, You're Drunk, an irreverent media podcast. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change, it's a podcast about seeking moral high ground, and it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, and if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Go home, Bible, you're Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Go Home Bible, You're Drunk podcast, a podcast where we dust off our Bibles and our experience in the evangelical church, and we see what's there. I am your co-host, Justin Gentry, the seminary student turned pastor turned heretic apostate. And <laughs> I'm Tori Williams Douglas, Bible college dropout. I'm a former white evangelical, which is really funny because I'm black. Um, <laughs> yeah, I found that it's kind of cathartic to laugh about some of the wild shit that's in the Bible. So yes. that's why we decided to do a podcast about that. Yeah, so we're going to take you on a tour of all of the the wild shit that we find here in the scriptures. And yeah, we're going to laugh about it. But before we get to that, there's a couple of things going on in the world of evangelicalism that we wanted to talk about a little bit. And I think maybe the first one we'll talk about is this fight over what deconstruction is and isn't. There have been some think pieces out by various evangelical outlets that I don't feel like naming or promoting, but... <laughs> Legit. But the crazy thing is they have great... SEO, like if you type in yeah. deconstruction, they're the first results, um, which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. But there's this fight over what deconstruction is, what you're allowed to be, what you're allowed to deconstruct to and what you're not. And so what, what do you think about that? It's just, it's just classic evangelicalism to me, where someone other than you gets to decide what you can do with your life, with your spiritual life and what you cannot do. And that's at the end, right? Like we are mm -hmm. the authority. We get to say that deconstruction can go this far and no farther. And if it doesn't bring you all the way back to Jesus Christ is my Lord and savior. Amen. It's, it's something it's not, yeah. it's not deconstruction, I guess. Yeah. And I encountered this as a pastor in particular, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, like you're okay. You're allowed to doubt as a pastor. Like that actually kind of gives you a little street cred if you're in a sermon <laughs> and you kind of cry a little bit and you're like, I oh, sometimes, God. I sometimes doubt this, you know, like that is legit street cred. You can manipulate people into giving you lots of money to do that. I can't, um, I can't deal. I'm just, I'm just telling you it's, it's the truth, but you have to doubt and then come back to yes where you started. Like that's, mm -hmm. 
that's the the path you can't have changed and there's like a lot of pressure to do that like i know i know personally a lot of pastors that doubt or disbelieve or doubt mm-hmm. certain things but they can't publicly say it and so it's they're almost like on this loop where you have to come back like you like if i want right. to if i want to get my pension i have to come back to oh, yeah to this thing and and i don't care how people deconstruct i really don't but i think if you're not if you're not putting everything on the table or are we willing to do that or or if you mm. have a a person behind you saying like oh sure you can deconstruct but no further than you know mm-hmm. you know jesus is off the table or the church is off the table or lgbtq issues are off the table like then then mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know it's just it's a strange weird policing thing that i feel like it's happening yeah yeah it's 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 i mean very again like evangelicalism people don't know what autonomy is <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, let people figure it out for themselves because they're smart enough to, but you know, we were taught that, no, that's sinful. You can't trust yourself. You can't trust your body, like all of these things. So again, it is, it's very circular reasoning. Like, I'm not really sure what's going on here. Well, you know, you can doubt, but you can't, you can only go so far with it. And then you have to come back and like, I'm not sure how that counts. They really, they sincerely feel like they get to dictate everything to everyone, I think. Yeah. That's how I feel anyway. And I don't like it. Not a fan. Oh, not a fan. So if you're deconstructing and someone tells you how to do it. You're doing it wrong. Or you're doing yes. it wrong. Or, you know, I mean, I'm happy to offer tips to help people do it in a way that doesn't completely wreck their life. Like, I want people to be able to deconstruct safely you know, cause it can wreck your mental health. Like, like I, Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And I think there are ways to deconstruct that are more healthy than others. But when I say health, I don't mean like you have to land somewhere. It's right. Like what you're putting your body and your mind and your you know spirit, if you still believe in that through to get there is what I personally care about. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing. I mean, it's it, yeah, you're right. It's a classic evangelicalism, and you know, it's just it's just them being them. But I feel the need to point it out. And yeah, of, no, it's of, true. Like, why is it. why is the why? I don't understand. Two weeks ago, well, maybe a little longer than that. Four weeks ago, nobody in evangelicalism was ever talking about deconstruction, except like these people have fallen away from the faith. And now it's like, oh no, we're taking this thing back. It's like the rainbow. Yeah. Like the gays can't have it because we had it first. This yeah. is not how things work in the world, child. Yeah. Yeah. And all, now all of a sudden they're like re-evangelical or reconstruction or whatever. And it's like, re- that's even, that's even scarier. Yeah. Re-evangelical, honestly, that sounds like more of a cult than evangelicalism <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, Interesting. So evangelicals are also doing a bang up job in the respecting women's bodies department this week. You know, par for the course. Disaster. Uh huh. It, it is a disaster. So there was the guy uh, Stuart Allen Clark, which the perfect, most perfectly named, oblivious white male pastor, yes. decided to go on a. I don't even know how to describe. I want to say it's a rant. It was it a sermon. Like a, it feels like a, a rant in a sermon, but he also had it prepared and like ready to go. It wasn't off the cuff, right? Because he had like yeah. photos and, and stuff and, and little anecdotes. Yeah. But uh, he yeah. said a lot of things in this sermon. 
namely that you know women that basically that if your bedroom is not as spicy as it should be it's your wife's fault for letting herself go and he quoted the scripture about you know husbands own their wives so you know Ooh, get your get your get your bible out and uh, tell him <laughs> tell him what to do that'll put him in the mood as well as posting images in front of his church of Melania Trump saying like that's that's someone who's done the Lord's work and not let themselves go. The Person. Lord's work is Botox. Yeah, and apparently a boob job. <laughs> yeah, and and to be fair, he has he is facing there is backlash. There are consequences, but I highly doubt there would be any backlash or any consequences had this sermon not gone viral. From what I understand yeah. from archived sermons, I don't have that kind of free time, but from people that have looked at them, this is not a isolated incident. It's a pattern of behavior right. on his part. I will say most certainly, you know, Mark Driscoll uh, years ago said something similar about yeah. women letting themselves go. So this is, this is something that is common in evangelicalism to particularly put all of the onus of the marital relationship or any relationship mm -hmm. for that matter on, on women and women's bodies right. and their appearance. And I'm not going to comment on Stuart. Is that his, gosh, I can't even, his name is like Stuart Allen, Stuart Allen. I'm not going to shame okay. Stuart mm -hmm. Allen for the body that he has, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't meet his own criteria. He does not meet his own Let's criteria. Just... That is the best way to say it that he, you know, like, <laughs> Again, people come in all shapes and sizes, but if you're going to put yeah. a religious stipulation on what someone <laughs> looks like and how they maintain their body, you should probably look like you attempt to meet that standard. Like you at least make an effort, right? But, you know, whatever. He is, he's, he's blessed with a very healthy appetite. And so obviously the reason that he is having a hard time having sex with his wife as frequently as he wants to is because yeah. like, obviously he's in great shape. So it's her problem. Yeah. Like I look what? great. <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm sorry. Like there are so many men in this country who are the exact same way of like, don't take care of themselves. Don't put any effort in. And it's like, well, women need to look this way. Otherwise they're unattractive. Have you looked at yourself? Yeah. in a mirror because like none of that is interesting to anybody yeah. <laughs> and women spend so much time and money on our bodies already right like women and femmes we spend thousands of dollars on clothes and makeup and you know whatever things that we are into in terms of the way that we present ourselves and we're actually intentional about that and Guys just kind of be like, yeah, whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah. Double standards I, all the way. I showered for you today. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Oh, I God. I did basic grooming. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it, it's a double standard. And it's, you know, culturally as a double standard, I think it's bad, but it's, it's frustrating when you see it propped up uh -huh. by the church and used as like a, right. a tool to subjugate women. Like I, I can't imagine being this, this man's wife sitting in that, room hearing him talk about you know and I don't I haven't seen a picture of her I haven't googled a picture of her but it would be awful if she was overweight because then it's like he's basically like fat shaming her in front of everybody in the service, in the service yeah. with bible verses 
and then posting a picture of his dream girl up there in front of everybody. Oh my God. Like, oh my God. Like he thought this through. This was not a like, oops, Mm -hmm. hot mic type incident. Yeah, it was, it was intentional and it wasn't, it wasn't just like one statement and then he kind of moved on, which is what I think a lot of pastors tend to do around this. Apparently like one of the things that he had said kind of on the record in a sermon or whatever is that the number one killer of women's sex drives is wedding cake. Yes. And I'm like, that's you. Yeah. That is you. That is a hundred percent you. None of that is, has anything to do with women. No, that's not women. That's you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that's another interesting about evangelicalism that I think, well, I honestly, I'd like to do a whole episode on this is just the knee jerk projection onto everything else is the problem you look at can't you look at cancel culture whatever quote unquote you know they're like oh we're being canceled like y'all do all the canceling yourselves yeah so like all of it it's almost it's almost comical at this point the thing that evangelicals and conservatives are mad about on any given day nine times out of ten dollars to donuts is something that they themselves do and do just as bad if not worse and It's it is a it is a an enforced system that you know creates this blindness around so many areas and this is just one example of it and we will find more for sure. Oh, for sure, for so. sure. <laughs> First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. (laughs) So what should we talk about? We should talk about the Bible. We should talk about the Bible. And I would love for Tori to share a story. Uh, But before we do that, I want to talk about this week's drinking game. At Go Home, Bible, You're Drunk, we do have a drinking game. It is not required that this drink be alcohol. It doesn't even, it's not even required to be a drink. It's just a fun thing to, to listen out for. And so every time we mention mutilating a part of your body for God in this week's episode, you take a drink because we definitely want you to associate eating with me. Mutilating <laughs> oh, no. oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Now that I think about it. Um, oh my gosh. But yeah. Anytime we talk about, you know, mutilating yourself for God in a positive way, you can. Or, or a negative way. Or a negative way. Just um, take a sip of water or take a sip of water. do a push up or whatever, you know, whatever. It, don't do a push up if you're driving, but no. like, yeah. you know, find a thing that you can do that you're into. Find a thing you can do because the Bible sometimes uh, reading it can make you feel a little loopy. So, uh huh, yeah, little batty, little batty. Okay, so one of my absolute favorite Bible stories since I stopped being a Christian, which is really funny. I didn't I didn't realize this until I left. I was like, oh shit, like that's that's awesome. I have become kind of obsessed with Zipporah, who was, she was the wife of Moses. Moses was her husband, whatever. 
And it's a really weird story. Like she hasn't mentioned a ton. I think there's really only kind of three actual mentions of her in Exodus. And so I'll get into why I'm sort of so into this story, but I'm very intrigued. Three verses long. It's three verses long. And so I'm just going to read it. I'm so sorry. Trigger warning. (laughs) Reading the Bible, you guys. Go for it. It Exodus chapter four, 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. So the verse before this, the verse before this is like, hey, Moses, pack your stuff. It's time to go. (laughs) Go down to Egypt. (laughs) All of a sudden. And it's like, God was at, God was at the lodging place already. And then Moses shows up and he's like, I'm going to kill you, motherfucker. (laughs) Like what? Surprise. (laughs) Like, this is not okay. Um, But okay. Verse 25, but Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. And apparently she said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. I think that's two, I think that's two sips of water, you guys. And then verse 26, so the Lord left him alone. What is happening? (laughs) One of the weirdest stories in the entire Bible. Yeah. And I kind of love it. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, I mean, well, okay. Part of the reason I love it is because it didn't actually happen. I'm not here for like random tactical circumcision, even if it's because God is fighting with your husband and wants to kill him. If your husband has a proof of that, but (laughs) if your husband has a foreskin and God's coming to kill him, you know, you know what to do. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe this is, maybe this is the the thing, right? It's a little, it's a little witchy, but maybe. Oh, this is some serious sympathetic magic going on. For sure. I don't I like and I I I don't get it. Nobody really gets it, but to me I'm like, okay, so there's a black woman in the Bible who kicked God's ass. It wasn't yeah. even a draw. Like he up and left. It wasn't like a Jacob Israel thing where it's like you're gonna have a limp or whatever. Like, no. God was just like, okay, I'm done. And and took off. And I was just like, that's that's pretty fucking cool. That's so, pretty awesome. Yeah. And there are a lot of parallels between this story and that story of Jacob wrestling the angel or the angel of the Lord or God or whatever. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, God shows up to try to test Moses, kill Moses, whatever. It literally says kill. It literally says, and God decided to kill Moses. Yeah. And then (laughs) he's on the path. Yeah. And then Zipporah's like, no. You're not going to get my man. I know. Here's a force. It's just like ready to go. I don't, I'm like, I not nothing about this makes any sense. None of it makes any sense. God's just like on this mission of like, well, change my mind. This Moses guy, he's a dick. I don't want to deal with him anymore. It's like, he definitely wasn't suffering from any of the like sunk cost fallacy. Like you no. kind of put a lot of effort into this one dude. And now you're just going to off him. Cause you got mad at him for staying at the same hotel. Yeah. <laughs> like you weren't supposed to be here. So again, I have no idea what this means. And it's it's weird when you're an evangelical. Like this story is considered very weird even in evangelicalism. And people don't really know what it means, except that God was going to, this is kind of the thing that people put out is God was going to kill Moses because his sons weren't circumcised. And 
I, don't, I just don't know how I feel about that. Right. Cause there was yeah. no instruction yeah. of like you, this really bothers me. This thing that you didn't do to your sons, Gershom and yeah. Elias. Eliezer, Eliezer, something like that. Eliezer is kind of a badass name. Gershom is. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Bad for Gershom. (laughs) (laughs) That's an unfortunate name. Like you have, you have an unfortunate name, and then your mom comes and just like surprise takes part of your dick off. Like that's not that's not cool. Yeah, and I mean, who knows how old they were, but I imagine any age where you're aware (laughs) that that is not. It's not going to be time a good time. Also, has time has no meaning in the Bible. So I'm like, what if he was like 20? <laughs> Just like pull your pants down. Yeah, pull your pants down. We got to save your dad. <laughs> I need a piece of your dick. I can't. I can't. I can't deal with any of this. It's well, all. It's all so bananas. And let's also talk about Moses's feet for a second. Like, <clears throat> it is not a. I mean, this is a weird enough story as it is. It is strange enough. But then, like, feet in the Bible, kind of bringing up my Bible college for a little bit. Hebrew is a very word-poor language and or word-impoverished language. And that doesn't mean it's impoverished like it's poor or bad. It just means they don't have as many words for some things. So like feet and hands, especially they become euphemisms for a lot of different things. Feet is a common euphemism for genitalia in the Bible. You see this all over scripture, that the use of feet is commonly used. One of the easiest ones to point out is in Isaiah, when it talks about angels having six wings some with which they cover their eyes, some they fly with, some they cover their feet with. They're not covering their feet. They're covering their genitalia. Which... Wait a second. So, wait a second. Going back to last week, pause. Yes. That means the oh, angels yes. have dicks. Yes, they do. They do. So We cracked it. We cracked it. Now well, we know. yeah. So, and, and maybe they're, who knows if they're circumcised or not. I, I don't know. But so so it's a strange thing that Zipporah very well could have cut the foreskin off of her son and put it on Moses it's so weird what is this even weirder like is this a covering to protect him I I don't know I I did read one commentary that said it's possible that Moses became fatally ill on the way and this is her doing kind of like a ritual or something to right. try okay. to heal him. So that's, it, mm, it's a strange thing. It's a strange, strange story. It's and the, very strange. And everybody's guessing. Uh, yeah, but I do have to say that a trend that I noticed in the Googling that I was doing, like the Jewish tellings of the story, they're a little bit more nuanced. And also I'm trying to think of how to even explain this. They don't, they don't try they don't try to make it mean something as much, right? Which I think is something that evangelicals kind of can't do. Everything in the Bible has to have some kind of meaning. The Jewish articles that I found on Zipporah were all like kind of woke. They were like, Zipporah was a black woman and black lives matter. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay, cool. And then the evangelical sort of breakdown or take on Zipporah was she's angry. She's a bad person and she's angry. It was like, this is wow. classic. This is exactly how 
even white evangelicals and white white Americans in general treat black women. It's like you're a bad person and you're too angry. Wow. And I was like, oh, this goes back a ways. Interesting. That's good to know. It's like the the thing that is so wild to me is that when Moses' siblings, Aaron and Miriam, are like, hey, like, why did you marry this this woman? Like, she's not Jewish. We're not okay with this. God gets pissed. Like he literally gives Miriam leprosy for talking shit about Moses' wife. Moses, yeah. Yeah. And so, but all of the, but all these white evangelicals are like, yeah, she's a bad person. We don't like her. She's kind of lazy. Like she could have been a really big character in the Bible, but I guess she just chose not to be. <laughs> they were so snarky. Oh my they gosh. were so snarky. I was really confused. And also it was very enlightening. Like, okay. Yeah. That okay, this is what <laughs> this is what we're working with. Cool. That's kind of crazy. And Moses sends Zipporah away and her and his sons. Right. Like, so it's not right. like she didn't have a choice to not have a bigger part in the Bible. <laughs> you know, it's not. She got booted. She got booted by Moses. And then when her dad later comes to see Moses, brings her and the kids along, it, the Bible is actually pretty clear that Moses sees her dad, but I don't think they ever, there's no indication that they talked at all. So, I mean, I mean, Moses is like deadbeat dad. I don't know. Like, <laughs> he's got a really important job okay uh, yeah so honestly he I think, doesn't care about us yeah yeah i'm sure <laughs> that, that was what Zipporah was saying he's got a really important <laughs> you know we're gonna go live with grandpa for a while dad just needs some oh, time God. with his dad's busy yeah that's busy right now and moses is this big character in the scriptures but he's not a family man Mm-hmm. Obviously, his brother and sister don't really care for his choice of wife. And yeah, it's such a strange little story. So how did you how did you see it before when you were an evangelical? And like what was that transition to how you see it now? Mm, I mean, or, I think how, I how would how would you have seen this as an evangelical? Right. I mean, I we definitely read this story several times just because it's in Exodus. So our whole like reading through the Bible every year, we passed it a lot. And you know, it's it's really short, so there wasn't a lot put in there, but there was kind of like the wait, why is God trying to kill Moses? Like, what is happening right now? Because as a kid, that doesn't make any sense at all, right? You don't really understand the like kind of witchy pagan aspect of it mm-hmm. you know at least at least we didn't growing up we had no clue what that was about it's just like oh like god got really mad at moses and Zipporah knew what god was mad about and then it just moves on <laughs> mm-hmm. okay so i think that what i what i really got from this story when i was younger and when i was in church was that we always say that God is unchanging, but God clearly changes his minds on some, his minds, his many minds on several occasions. His, I need to stop saying his, God clearly changes its mind on several occasions. And I think when you're talking about, I think when you're talking about the character of God as depicted in the Bible, the masculine gender is appropriate. I would think. I like, Like, I just like calling God an it. Like you're a thing. You're not a person. It is funny. It it is funny to refer to God as it. Yeah, and that's that is an interesting thing that 
the church doesn't know what to do with this. Mm-hmm. But the lesson that comes out of it is God might kill you for disobeying him. Right. You know, like yes. that's, and, and, and there might are, not even give you any warning. Yeah, no warning. You might know, not even know what you did. We don't actually even know what Noah did. Not Noah, sorry. We um, don't. What Moses did. There's speculation. Like every commentary is like, well, he might not have circumcised his sons on time, you know, or he might not have actually been married to Zipporah because there wasn't some exchange of ancient ritual, da 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 But there's also like, there's speculation that's like, did the ancient ritual come from this passage or was this passage depicting an ancient oh. ritual? You know, like, huh. yeah. Like, so there's just not, nobody knows. I think nobody you, knows. You have to be okay with that. The Bible is less stressful when you're okay with the parts that you just cannot figure out. Yeah. This is a strange thing that ancient people did. I, I literally went and like looked this story up in the Hebrew Bible online and it says the exact same thing. They were walking along. God got pissed. Zipporah pulled out a little flint knife and whacked part of her son's dick off and that was good enough for God. Like, oh, okay. I thought that there would be a little bit more, <laughs> more to mm-hmm. the story. But again, the kind of Jewish readings of this don't try to make it make sense. And I think that that's probably a healthier way to look at it personally. Yeah. The Bible doesn't have to make sense. And there can be, sense. there can be pieces of it that are just like, meh, that don't, you're like, I, we don't know what it means. But I think the cool thing about that is, is that we can then make meaning from them. Yeah, we can find meaning in them. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's really cool. And that's definitely what I felt with, with Zipporah and kind of like the camaraderie that I felt with her. It's even more heightened, stronger now that I know how many white evangelicals kind of hate her guts. Like, <laughs> I think that that is... I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, we're very much on the same page with this. Cool, okay. Yeah, like, I I had not thought of that, but now that I think about it, when I see, like, I don't know if this picture actually existed, but I'm, like, imagining, like, a flannel graph-type picture of teaching. Oh, uh-huh. uh, You know, and it's, like, Moses is definitely a white guy, you know, with a tan. Well, but all definitely. Egyptians are white. Yeah. Don't know if yeah. you know this. Yeah. And Zipporah, yeah, definitely a black woman, you know, and it is weird how there is this level of hatred that's put on her. Yeah. And the text doesn't, like, she saved Moses's life. Right. And also, God wasn't cool with her being hated on. Yeah. It had a real problem with that. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think the message to white evangelicals is, you know, don't shit on Zipporah or God will give you leprosy. I, I like that takeaway a lot. I'm good I with have that. One thing that, one thing that I found while reading this story yeah. that made me absolutely nuts. I'm going to regret that word choice in just a second. The Bible talks all the time about circumcising all of these different parts of your body. Mm-hmm. And I, when Moses talks about like uncircumcised lips and then Paul is talking about your uncircumcised heart, heart. <laughs> and all literally have to cut part of it off. Just uh, too, there's way too much circumcision in this book. Value to me. Way too much <laughs> circumcision. 
Hey, why are we doing this? Please don't, please don't circumcise your heart. Like you need all of that shit. Yeah. You need all your heart and all your lips too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, and most, most boys did not have a choice in whether they were circumcised or not, but you mm-hmm. know, don't, don't go keep doing that. Like, yeah, yeah, that that was always weird imagery to me as, you know, a kid growing up in evangelicalism, you know, circumcising your heart or those images of cutting something off from yourself, of self-mutilation, you know, there is something attached to you that is so wrong that it has to be cut or burned or taken away i have i have mental images in my head of imagining me self-immolating myself for oh my god for god like like, not that i actually thought i was going to do it but like that's like my expectation you you were supposed to be willing to go that far and just from just in terms of like sociology and anthropology like that is that is extremist like that's considered an extremist view like if you need to die for your religion or you feel the need to die or kill for your religion, which you kind of, very few people are only one of them. I mean, mm-hmm. pacifists exist, n- mad respect, but yeah, it's like, this is this is the definition of extremism. <laughs> yeah. I'm willing to die for the cause of Christ. It's like, oh, 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 that's not, that's bad. Yeah, and I, and I was in high school during the Columbine um, massacre. Yeah. And, you know, that book, she said, I think it was, she said yes about. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And feeling the the pressure or the, yeah, I guess it's the pressure to make that same commitment to be like, if someone points a gun at your head and they ask you to deny Jesus, you have to say yes. Or you have did to, yeah, that, or, or you, that, you have to. Did that story to, actually happen? I don't know if it actually happened. I don't, I don't want to speak. I don't want to speak in any factual terms about that you know massacre other, other other than yeah. that she, yeah. other than that she died and it was awfully tragic mm-hmm. and and for me yeah. you know being of the same age as of her as her it's mm-hmm. it was you know traumatic on a certain yeah. level for me i lived in yeah. Littleton, colorado for a while uh not near this time but this was many years later right. and it's still i mean it's still it's in the air you know like it's just this yeah. you know, this yeah. thing mm-hmm. so I don't want to make light of that, but it's of her death and or any meaning that came from it. But at the same time, it there was this pressure, I think, nationwide to be like, I got to commit to die for Uh Jesus Uh, and not just Jesus, like white American Jesus, you know, like this version of Jesus that I've been given, I have to die for. Um, not not communist Jesus. We don't no, die for that shit. No, we kill communist Jesus. That's what we do. <laughs> like, that's, that, that's what a good oh Christian man does. Michael W. Smith like wrote that whole song, and then there was like a whole study guide that went with it of kind of commemorating her. And yeah, there was so much pressure. And then it was like everybody, like the next year with See You at the Pole, everybody was so like kind of fired up, I guess. We're ready, we're ready to do this. We're ready to like tell some random student with a gun that we'll, we'll, we'll die for, yeah, white evangelical Jesus. Yeah. And yeah, that's just, it's so so surreal to think. And, and also I remember questioning that. I remember mm-hmm. starting to think like pragmatically, what does it matter? 
Like if someone points huh. a gun at my head and they say, deny mm -hmm. Jesus. And I say, sure, you know, fuck, <laughs> fuck right. Jesus. Like, what is that? Like, so what? Like I'm alive. He's probably caught and in prison and I can right. ask for forgiveness. Uh -huh. like, what is the, what has been lost here? And maybe what some of my friends might live, like, because I stood, yeah. you know, and actually this is where, again, the Jewish perspective really helped me because there were, there were Jewish rabbis that I read later that said, any one of the 10 commandments can be broken if it is in the way, if it is to save a life. Like yeah. there, are, there is, you should obviously try to obey them, but there are always justifiable exceptions to any of these rules found in scriptures. This is some Jewish traditions. And and that was I, super refreshing. I love that to me. so much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I think that in evangelicalism, so much is put on you, right? Mm -hmm. And so like having any kind of a different perspective, kind of, I guess it just feels like it lightens the load a little bit. Mm -hmm. Also, I really appreciate the fact that I now have a pass to lust over my neighbor's ass, because that's cool. Yes. Nice. Someone might die if I don't. <laughs> nice. Covet. Covet my neighbor's my neighbor's ass. In my neighbor's ass, yes. My neighbor's uncircumcised ass. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm tired. This is this is really gone off the rails. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm grateful though that we bit off what we could actually chew, because mm -hmm. last time we didn't do that so well. So I'm like three verses. We got a lot of content. <laughs> Yeah, I think we got a little There's over. There's a lot of conversation. Covering the Nephilim and Noah's Ark oh and God. everything that happened after Noah's Ark. And yeah, so that was a lot. If anyone was with us for that episode, it was a good episode, I think. But yes, I think maybe smaller chunks of the Bible is a lot more manageable. Going forward, yeah, <laughs> Going probably, forward. probably a good call. We're not going to run out of Bible been since 2000 years there's no way we're running out yeah we're not gonna run out so any parting thoughts tori mm, black lives matter that's my parting thought stop being a dick to black women and black lives you matter or we'll or we'll or we'll circumcise your heart yes may oh, your I may don't i don't know what that means may your heart be circumcised by a black woman with a knife made of a stone a rock <laughs> a rock okay yeah what about you uh yeah i think the parting thought is that yeah i'll say black lives matter as well and i think particularly in the scripture the african the importance of african characters in the scripture it should not be understated mm -hmm. you know it is they're not yeah. everywhere you know this isn't you know an African book per se, but right. the African influence and perspective is important. And I think if you are going to be a person that gets something out of the Bible more than just, you know, reading it for the lulls, I, <laughs> I do think African theologians and theologians, black theologians, uh, black liberation mm -hmm. theologians should be a part of that discussion. That'll be my yeah, parting thought, absolutely. I guess. I don't, I like not St. Augustine, but the other ones are fine. <laughs> yes. Yes. There was <laughs> a robust discussion at my evangelical college as to whether or not Augustine was black. Oh my gosh. Okay. And, and, and why that mattered or not. 
I imagine. Well, I mean, he wasn't black. He wasn't black in the sense that like blackness had not been invented as a social construct. Yes. So there's that. But yes. like in terms of his ethnic background and his heritage, I mean, I don't know. You live in North Africa. I'm not going to assume you're not black. Yeah. But at the same time, given how much he is loved by white evangelical pastors. <laughs> I, I, well, all their pictures of him, he's a white guy. So That's true. And every, and every photo I've seen, he's white. So I guess Every that's... photo, yes. <laughs> I need um, to get my picture taken with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. man. So cool. if you are interested in our work and like what we do, you can follow us on the Twitters at Go Home Bible. And yep. also the Instagrams and go home Bible.com. If you like this podcast, please give it a five-star rating on any of your various places that you get podcasts. If you don't like it, you can email us at go home at gmail.com. You're welcome to email us, ask us questions. That'd be great. But don't give us a rating, you know, five-star ratings only, please. We would appreciate that very much. <laughs> We're only accepting feedback in the form of five yes. stars or more at yes. this time at this time maybe we'll reconsider yeah. going forward but yeah you can also send us hate mail that's but cool hate mail is fine it may be read and it may be discussed we will not disclose your identity we're not like that right but but we yeah. may discuss it sure and yeah, yeah it's legit. We, we hope you have a wonderful day and wherever your day is and yeah stay sane out there okay bye <laughs> <laughs>1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.